0: Welcome back to another episode of Positive Productivity. This is your host, Kim Sutton, and I'm so happy that you're here to join us today. I want to take a quick second before I jump in and introduce the guest to ask you if you please haven't already done so to visit the podcast on your preferred listening platform and subscribe, rate and review. You know, this is something that I don't usually ask you to do, but I would love to get more exposure to potential listeners who need the messages that we are sharing. Anyway, to jump back into this episode, I'm thrilled to introduce our guest, Gina Gardner. Gina is a motivational speaker, author, empowerment and relationship coach, and transformational leadership trainer with Genuinely Lou Limited. It's limited, right, Gina? Yes, it's Genuinely
1: you Limited.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us here today.
1: My pleasure. Really excited about it.
0: Oh, and me too. I can't believe I got the blooper out of the way in the first two seconds. Awkward. I, I would love if you would introduce yourself a little bit better than I have already done to the listeners and let them know how you got to where you are today.
1: It's quite a long story, really. So, are you sitting comfortably? I have been in the business of empowerment all my working life, really. I started off as a teacher. And I became the principal of a school very, very early on. Initially, I was appointed to be the deputy principal. I was 29. It was a very large school. Uh, And I was very cheeky. I applied for it and was told not uh, to expect an interview because they were going to appoint a man. They could do that in 1982 when I was appointed. But anyway, they did appoint me and I was appointed to be the catalyst for change. It was a school that was fairly old fashioned. And so for the first two terms, we worked incredibly hard to to plan how we were going to move things forward. The spring break, I went off skiing and I went to St Anton in Austria I was an experienced skier, but I'd had new skis for Christmas. And in those days, the ascribed wisdom was to have skis as long as possible. So I was convinced by the shop assistant that I needed longer skis than I was used to. For the first part of the week, proceeded to wrap the extra 10 centimetres round my neck fairly frequently. Lots of bindings checks. And on the Thursday, which was the penultimate day, I had a really bad fall and it knocked my confidence. So I said to the the group of friends I was with, I'm going to ski on my own tomorrow. You go off and do your own thing and I'll meet you for lunch, which I did. And they said that they'd found a great new run and why didn't I join them? So by this time I'd gathered myself together and we went off and got onto the ski lifts. And those people who are used to skiing will know that as you go up in the ski lift, you have this incredible sense of peace it becomes very quiet and you can see the fabulous mountains around you. and we got to the top of the lift and I followed them and they took a wrong turning and we found ourselves at the top of the Schindlergrats which is the most difficult black run in Saint Anton, which is several hundred feet tall. it has lots of moguls. I don't know if your listeners if they're skiers, they'll know that a mogul is where the weather has worn away the snow and the ice to leave bumps.
0: Oh, my gosh. And those
1: bumps, they could be anything from a couple of inches. Well, these were six foot. Oh, my gosh. And so if you just imagine, very, very steep, but full of these great lumps, which you used to have. had to ski on the top, turn and then slip down. So for about the first third, I was managing that, but it was tricky I'd done black runs before, but this was a particularly challenging run. And I left it too late to turn, and I ended up falling. took me 20 minutes to retrieve my skis, and then I skied back to where the others were sitting, each of them on a mogul, a bit like an elf on a, a toadstool. And I took my skis off and I joined them. And it was a beautiful day, brilliant sunshine, very warm. And the top of my mogul gave way and I found myself falling. and I knocked myself out, and I came to having bounced. There was nowhere to land because it was so steep. I don't know how long I was there for. The others skied down. I think they were quite prepared for me to be really badly injured. As it was, I refused the blood wagon, and I managed to ski down very badly. There was only the last couple of hundred feet to come down. I'd fallen uh, probably 200 feet to to that point. And we traveled home the next day. It was a very challenging journey. And when we got home, my mum took one look at me and took me off to accident and emergency. And they told me that I had got concussion and that I had trapped a nerve in my neck. So I then went back to school. I was sent home because I was speaking rubbish. There are those that would say that was probably quite normal. But over the next few weeks, I began to recover. I was back at school. I was wearing a collar, but I was told I could go skiing with the school party. And I was the deputy leader for Borough. And we had 150 children going skiing, this time to Switzerland. And I managed all week. But as the week drew to a close, I became more and more like Quasimodo, And the last day after the children had all done their races, I hadn't got any more to give. So I said to my colleague, I'm really sorry, I'm going to have to go and lie on the bed. And it was a double bunk. It was not a posh hotel. Got up onto the bunk and I then found that I was paralysed down one side. I couldn't move my right side at all. Was frightened to shout out because I didn't want to frighten the children And had to wait till somebody came to check on me. I was rushed to hospital and then rushed to Geneva University Hospital. And then five days later, I was flown home by air ambulance. Wow. And really, things never been quite the same since then. That was February I was off school until the beginning of May, and I sort of limped quite literally. I'd got the movement back, but not the power back in my right side, to the school summer holidays, which started mid to late July, and was really looking forward. We only have six weeks summer holidays here. We don't have the long holidays that you have in the US, and thought, I'll have a really good rest. I'll be ready to go back in September, but about 10 days later, I got the phone call to say that my then head principal had suddenly died in his sleep. And I was the head. Oh, wow. I was determined. burns, just like skiing. It's just, you never know what life is going to bring you, no, you do don't. you? Um, and... I was determined to make things a success. So I was acting head for a term and I became the, I uh, was appointed the formally as the principal, the head in January. And there really things, uh, I was determined that school was going to do well and that my physical situation shouldn't get in the way. But over the next five years or so, my mobility deteriorated. The accident was in 1982. By 1987, I was having to use a wheelchair around school because it was so spread. Really worried about what other people would think and so delayed actually using it much longer than one might expect. But it was brought home to me. I was out. It was a summer holiday and out with friends. We'd gone to Wisley Gardens, which are the Royal Horticultural Gardens, and I wouldn't use one of the wheelchairs that was on hire. I sat in the car park, cut my nose off to spite my face. And at the end of two hours, realized that this was silly. As it happened, I went into hospital. I'd had an, in- I'd just started an experimental drug therapy, which went badly wrong. Was in hospital for four months. And when I came out, I had no choice. I had to use a wheelchair. Then decided to keep away from doctors and ran my school, which was doing very well. But 1996, I sneezed and ruptured a disc. I had surgery, failed back surgery syndrome. I couldn't put my left foot to the floor without fainting, so I was wheelchair bound. It took me two years to walk to the bottom of my very small garden, and then I was sick and I ruptured another disc, and I was completely wheelchair bound until 2004, when I had an internal spinal stimulator fitted. But in all of this, there were some huge gifts. Necessity is the mother of invention. I could not get my wheelchair past the door in pretty well all of the classrooms, because the even if I could get through the door, the classrooms were too crowded with furniture and children. and I had to create a different approach to developing leadership and to empowering people so that everybody recognised what excellence was. And I'd like to think I would have come up with the same thing if I hadn't been wheelchair bound. Probably would have taken me a lot longer. But the fact it was so successful is evidenced by we were on the best 100 schools in England twice during my tenure, had loads of accolades and kite marks and so on. And it was based on people taking responsibility for their own performance and for people to have a shared understanding of what excellence looked like in the context of the school. And it's at the heart of the work that I do now with individuals, couples, with whole organizations and teams, and it works. That's really one of the big gifts that came from the disability. Wow.
0: Thank you for sharing your story with us. I'm blown away. I don't mean to make a joke out of it, but I was supposed to go skiing when I was 13, actually my 13th birthday present but I didn't realize that instead my friends had planned a surprise party however Gina I can't even walk from one side of my ass to the other without tripping over my own feet so, <laughs> you know almost 30 years later I feel fortunate that I have never been on skis just because I know it wouldn't have gone well but that doesn't mean that I haven't faced you know my own struggles in my life that have brought me to where I am here today as well. I've been so fascinated watching the stories of who we consider to be some very successful entrepreneurs, at least the US, but I'm sure it's worldwide. For example, Tony Robbins, I had no idea the adversity that he's overcome, you know, stemming all the way back to his child. And by taking your own approach and your own stance and by being genuinely you, no matter what your setback, you can create massive waves and movements and create phenomenal results like you did. I mean, top 100 schools in the UK twice. That's what you said while you were there. Wow. So how did you decide to make the transition out of being the head of the school and into what you're doing today?
1: Like so many things in life, it was circumstances. My health was deteriorating. I used workers' great pain control. When I was at home, I mean, there have been many times that I should have stayed at home. So for example, after the second back surgery, I was back at school five days after I came out of hospital. Five months later, the consultant said to me, we'll think about you going back a couple of hours a week. And I just laughed. I'd been back part-time for a couple of weeks and then full-time. But if I'd stayed at home, if I had carers coming in, if they didn't leave a cup out and the kettle full, I couldn't make myself a cup of coffee, but I could use my mouth. You can tell my mouth works pretty well, my brain and my hands. And so if I went to school, I was being useful. I was doing something I loved and I was not facing the disability. Incidentally, I think that physical disability is just a metaphor for life because I can get in a wheelchair and move away. and Actually, I can walk short distances now. But if you believe you can't, if you believe that you're not capable, that you're going to fail, then you take that with you wherever you go. But going back to school, because I became a workaholic and I was working 15-hour working day, I was doing lots of things outside school to bring an income into school and to keep interested. Bits just kept on dropping off and I was given an ultimatum by my consultant. Either I stopped working in that way or... I would not be able to drive. And that would make me housebound. I had hand, electronic hand controls. And so I could drive myself and be independent with my electric wheelchair. And so I made the very difficult decision that I was going to leave a job that I loved and felt very fulfilling, but knew if I couldn't do it properly, I didn't want to stay. And the only way I could do it properly was I felt to do it as I was doing. And that was slowly making my health more and more challenging. So having decided to leave, I then thought, well, what do I do now? Because I wasn't ready for daytime television and I had all of this expertise. I'd worked for the National College, for the Department of Education, Science as an advisor, done all sorts of things as I said, to bring a budget into school. And so my view was that leadership is the same, whatever the context, that the conditions for great leadership are true of whether you're in retail or manufacturing or health or wherever. So initially I took myself off to do a research project across all industries to look at people going into the world of work and looking at what the issues were there and then the development of leaders and managers And of course, they were having exactly the same problems as we did in education. And so I wrote a couple of books to become my calling card. I did a lot more training, was already a qualified coach, but did a lot more training, incidentally, a lot with Anthony Robbins. And there's a pivotal story there, which perhaps if you've got time, I'll tell you in a moment. To start with, worked with corporates doing training, consultancy and coaching. And then when the recession hit, I started to work. I've always done life coaching and relationship coaching, but I started to work with small and medium sized businesses around the development of potential within their businesses. And ultimately, that's talking about the development of people.
0: Ooh, I love that. A lot of individuals don't know about personal and professional development until they really need to know. Am I saying that? I think that's how I'm trying to say it. I didn't know what personal and professional development was until I was just at that point where I couldn't go any further unless I knew more. And it was as though a whole new world opened up in front of me.
1: I think you're right that most often, it's necessity, which creates an awareness that there is something that could be better, or that there's a gap, or there's a problem that you've got to overcome. And then you start to look for solutions. And as you start to look for solutions, so your mind opens up and you start to develop in a way that perhaps you haven't given yourself the opportunity to do before.
0: Having been the head of the school, maybe your school had something like this, but I think often about how I would love to know that my children had personal development courses in their curriculum.
1: I think that's part of what made my school so successful. And part of that was creating the right team. And one of the things that I think made such a difference was that not only did we take a lot of time and trouble appointing the right people, but also the success was built on developing people. And, you know, if people came for an interview, they were told this isn't the right place to come if you don't want to learn, if you're not hungry to make things even better, then this isn't the right place for you. So. Everybody was keen. We had didn't start out structured and sequential, but eventually we had a structured sequential training programme for people that not only involved me, that was partly why I went out and did these other things, which was to bring a richness back into school. But also staff were recognised that they were responsible for their own development and for supporting other colleagues in their development. So we had a very clear view that professional dialogue meant professional challenge. Mm-hmm. Why are we doing it this way? Is there a better way? And so in some organizations, you go and they're very closed down. So if anybody suggests something different, it's seen as a criticism. Right. Where For us, it was about we don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater, we, but we want to be clear. We've really looked to see, is this the best way? Is there another way? Let's test it. If it doesn't work then we'll either adjust it or if we really think this is not the right track, then we will then work on something else. And that culture of development rather than blame, I think, is so important. But I use the same principles with the children. They were made responsible for their own actions. They had – we taught children how to negotiate, how to understand – I mean, in the UK, when I was a head, it was very unfashionable in schools to have competition. But I believe children need to understand how to manage competition, to win gracefully and to lose graciously. But at the same time, not to see losing as a failure. The only failure is if you fail to try or you fail to learn from it not going right. And we went to great lengths to help children understand that.
0: Oh, I absolutely love that. I mean, I think it was Einstein who, I mean, it took him hundreds, if not thousands of times. Am I thinking of Einstein? I think I am. Listeners, I'm sorry, I know walking history book, but for the light bulb, you know, hundreds of failures.
1: Edison, thank
0: you. See, look at that. I'm going to blame that on...
1: I blame the education system. Yes, let's go with
0: that. But in on the lightning storm outside my window right now, which is just so funny, Edison, I should know that. I mean, flying a kite, is that him or is that Benjamin Franklin? See, look at that. I was more interested in boys, but had there been, you know, personal development and just really more of this type of training when I was going through, uh, starting in elementary school, all the way up through middle and high school, wow, yeah, maybe I would have been paying more attention in history. (laughs)
1: <laughs> you know my father bless him he's no longer with us he was a teacher all his life he's he taught with at my school too after he'd retired he was 73 very strict the kids loved him to bits but he had a view that education is done at the wrong time it's wasted on the young and that actually you should start your education after the hormones have had their wicked way and when you can get up at a reasonable time without it feeling like resurrection And I think there's a lot of truth that for many people that they come to learning and recognizing the joy of learning much later in life.
0: Oh, yeah, I can see that. I mean, with the exception of messing up Einstein and Edison, I feel like I've learned so much more, even just since I turned 30. Yeah. Because I love to learn and I'm picking on myself here, but clearly you know what I'm not studying. This is so inappropriate. I coined it a couple of weeks ago as a learning gasm. <laughs> I get so into what I am studying and my mind just blows constantly. I love it. Like I'm being lit on fire by all these awesome skills and strategies and thought processes and mindset learnings. And I'm constantly thinking to myself, why didn't I know this before? And just seeing my teenager and my tween going through their own middle school and high school experiences right now, there is so much that I do my best to pass on to them and that I wish they just had any little glimpse of in school. But they don't really want to hear it from mom, you know?
1: No. And I think there's got to be a readiness. Yes, there does. You know, the old saying, you you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make it drink. I think is. True, there's got to be an openness to this. Now, you can help create an openness, but you can't make people open to learning unless there is a willingness on their part. And I'm not saying that they deliberately close down, but they're interested in other things. But once you do become interested, particularly around the world of personal development, it's like being a kid in a sweetie shop, isn't it? You want it all now.
0: Oh, yeah. I want to be able to put books on a USB port and put them in a port behind my ear. You know, like, <laughs> like the Matrix where he sits back in the chair and all he learns it all, just it's like injected. But I guess that would be like rushing through a gourmet meal. You can't savor it that way.
1: And I think in essence, it is in the struggle. It's in the efforting that goes on that it, you make it yours rather than you just becoming a clone of that information. And that for me is in part that when we are genuinely, authentically allowing ourselves to be who we are meant to be in our broadest, deepest form, we are incredibly powerful. We are incredibly creative. We are uh, solution finders. We are unique human beings. But what we've got to do is to get out of our own way and let all those limiting beliefs and limiting rules that we have about what we are capable of and what we are able to do, we have to let them go. You talked about Tony Robbins. I did all of my, I'm an NLP master practitioner and an NLP coach, and I did all my training with the same organization. And the guy who runs that organization was part of the group who developed NLP in the 80s and 90s. Brilliant training. But I decided I wanted to go and see as many people using NLP in practical ways as I could and decided to go and see Anthony Robbins. My view was quite cynical, you know, big American guy, very noisy. It's all hype, and that very quickly any benefit will dissipate. How wrong could I be? So I arrived at the Excel Centre. There were 10,000 people on the course. And part of the course was to do a fire walk. Now, at that time, I could manage a very few steps with help. I was determined to do the firewalk, And I was ecstatic when I did it. And I sat down in my wheelchair. And the guy behind me was a double amputee who had tipped himself up on his hands and did the firewalk on hot coals on his hands.
0: You just gave me two rounds of chills. That is absolutely amazing.
1: In that moment, what I recognise is although that I've been running a school that I'd gone all over the country doing work for these different organizations, I was self-limiting. Because when Tony Robbins had talked in the morning about doing a course in California, I completely dismissed it as impossible. How could I manage that? In those days, I didn't have a travel electric chair. How on earth would I manage that? And I discounted it. When I saw this guy who's nameless, I have no idea who he is. But I am eternally grateful to that man. And that's the other thing I'd say to your listeners. You have no idea what impact you're having on other people, very often without your knowing. I went and I booked the ticket and my flight that night. I went off to California. I eventually had a wonderful time, although it was a bit tricky to start with. And since then, I've done all Anthony Robbins training and I use his stuff on a daily basis personally and with other people. You can see yourself and the parameters of what you're capable of, but I guarantee that if you challenge them, that you can do so much more than you think you can.
0: Thank you for that. Thank you. And there's so many people who need to know that. I mean, I come across another oh, person okay. every day who tells me why they can't do something. And my,
1: if you believe you not it's a done deal, isn't it?
0: Yeah. I have daily challenges. I mean, I have five kids, a gazillion animals, a husband who works out of the home, thunderstorms that crop up right before podcast episodes, numerous tech glitches. <laughs> You know, and listeners, if this is your first episode, I want to encourage you to go back and listen to some of my solo episodes because I share a lot more about me and those. But we have faced all types of struggles. My husband was homeless a year before we met, living out of his car in Fargo, North Dakota. So if you're international, I just want you to think about the coldest, like negative 40 degrees Fahrenheit in the winter. And he was living in his car in the middle of winter, but within two years of us getting married, he was pursuing his college degree and now he's pursuing his dream career. You can only not do something if you tell yourself you can't, just like Gina said.
1: I would offer my huge congratulations to your husband and to you. Thank you. But I believe everybody is capable of greatness. It's just your mindset. And, you know, people could turn around and say, it's all right for you. You're this, you're that, you're the other. But, you know, faced with a situation where whether you're homeless or whether you're physically disabled, or whether you're mentally disabling yourself by believing that you can't, all of us are capable of so much more if we just believe in ourselves.
0: We just had a crack of thunder and lightning here. I was holding down on the mute just a second longer for it to pass. I don't know if you can hear it. Can you hear it in the background? Yeah, I put in
1: the background, yes.
0: It's really fun, but it's every time you say something that is just so extremely powerful like that, there's lightning and then thunder. <laughs> It's totally the mood. And listeners, I need to share with you. Gina and I, this is not our first attempt to have this chat, but now I can see why it happened today. Because seriously, the mood is completely set. Yes, it's dark and dismal here, but I can tell how powerful it is just because. And no joke, every time you say something that gives me goosebumps, I see the lightning flash and then I, I can't impersonate thunder. I don't have that ability, but you know, just, rubble, rubble, rubble. I mean, there was one time when you said something, it seriously felt like the lightning hit right outside my back door. I was like, wow, I know that was big. You felt it too, universe? Yeah. I love it. Love it. Yeah. You oh. know, one of the comments that I see more frequently that I would like, and I'm sure you've seen it too, is people who say, yeah, it's easy to be super successful and get what you want when you have lots of money.
1: I think that's a load of old Codswallop personally. There's no doubt that life is more comfortable if you've got lots of money. However, you still take you into the situation and your beliefs are still there. You know, if it all comes easily, where's the growth? Now, I'm not suggesting it has to be hard. It's more about what you do with your money if you've got lots of it. Lots of people have got plenty of money but don't have a happy, successful and fulfilling life. They're unhappy. They don't have a sense of achievement. Nor am I saying that you can't, you know, that you have to be poor to be happy. It's about you. It's not about the trappings. If you focus on what you can do, rather than what you can't, then you're going to achieve more in life. If you believe in yourself, that's really important. But money for me is just a form of energy. What are you going to do with it? If you've got lots of money, then how are you choosing to use it? Because in and of itself, it's just an energetic currency.
0: Absolutely, And we've all heard stories of people who came upon money when they didn't expect it. Or, you know, people who inherited a lot of money and they weren't prepared for it. And they wound up in worse places than they were before they had the money.
1: There's a really interesting statistic around people who win the lottery. And I mean, I don't mean just a few dollars, but I mean, you know, millions, that a vast proportion of them within five years are back to where they were.
0: I can see that actually just one town north of me in 2009 And listeners, I'll put a link to the article about them winning it in the show notes. There were a group of maybe eight city workers who won the mega millions, which is huge here in America. It was like 200 and something million dollars. And several of them, from what I've heard through the grapevine, ended up going bankrupt. Because they didn't have the personal and professional development nor the support like the by way of attorneys and financial advisors and even therapists or life coaches to advise them on what they should be doing with it. They didn't have that development in place. So as quickly as it came in, well, not as quickly. I mean, that was overnight, but it went right back out and they didn't have the development in place to know how to use it.
1: I think there's a big bit about... People needing mm-hmm. to belong and that suddenly thrust into a position where you have a lot more money, that sense will people like me for being me. Can I still be part of something? Can I trust that they still value who I am and I need to get back to that? And I think that's almost hot wired into us to belong to a group. It's caveman stuff, isn't it? If you were moved out of the group, then your survival was unlikely. So you need to belong to the clan.
0: Oh, yeah. I won't deny, listeners or Gina, that if I came across a lot of money, yes, I do want a bigger house. I want my own bathroom. Let's just be totally honest. I want my own bathroom that other kids aren't using, in like leaving the toilet paper roll empty.
1: I think that's actually, you know, it's not unreasonable. No, I don't know about you, but I would like to have a lot of money. But the reason I'd like a lot of money is there's there are things that I could do with money that currently I'm not able to mm-hmm. do. And for me, a lot of it, I, yes, I'd like a more comfortable life. For me, it would be able to travel business class rather than steerage because it's so much more comfortable. Right. But I would. it's in terms of what I could do in terms of getting to more people, helping more people, empower them. Because for me, that's my purpose in life. And it sounds a little bit posy, but for me, it's about how do I reach more people to help them step into their power?
0: And what was the word that you use, Posy? I'm not familiar with the word.
1: Yeah, I think it's probably an English word.
0: It doesn't sound at all off to me because that's exactly what we want to do when we, when we, and it's not an if we, but a when we come into a lot of money, we have a dream of building a rehabilitation center for displaced veterans and domestic abuse survivors. Fabulous! Because we have experienced so. both sides and yeah. received assistance on our own paths and. We feel it's our right and responsibility to give back just the way that we were able to. We wouldn't be where we are today if we hadn't received the support that we did along our journeys. Let me just put it that way.
1: And isn't it interesting that the how often it's, it's something that somebody does that for them is perfectly part of just what they do, who they are, that can make such a difference?
0: Absolutely. Gina, I started my business in 2012 when my husband went back to school. We needed some extra income. We had no expectation of it growing like it did. And within two months, I gave my notice. But I started my business as a virtual assistant. And I see the opportunity to even just give training to people, and I'm not just going to say women, but to people worldwide on how they can do the same to break out of whatever circumstance they are in. And my husband was a veteran. So I mean, those same services could be offered to the same training or whatever they want to do. I mean, look at my husband. He went back to school after getting out. He has a ruptured disc and a herniated disc. So nothing like you've experienced at all, but there's chronic pain and he's in line to get surgery himself. But there are so many people who have gotten out of the service with so far worse of physical injury. Yes yes, you can look at it as a disability. I'm not going to call it a disability because I've seen so many phenomenal stories of what they've done with what they came out with. Listeners, you've already heard me talk about the Facebook show, Returning the Favor. There was a feature about a gentleman who, I think he put his bag down on a landmine or or something. He lost several limbs, but what he did was he took his drive and he built a rehabilitation center, like a retreat for other disabled veterans who have experienced the same thing. it's amazing seeing what people do, not despite, but with their circumstances. Just like what you've already shared with us today,
1: I find it quite interesting. I mean, I've worked with thousands of people now. How often it is a crisis of some sort, either a relationship breakdown, or redundancy, or a bereavement, or a serious illness on the part of them or somebody they love, or disability, that actually makes people reevaluate their lives and what's important. And brings out the strength. And, you know, they talk about being tempered, steel being tempered by fire. And I think in many ways, as human beings, that we are similar. We rise when there is the challenge. Probably see the very best and the very worst in people in those situations. But those who decide that that challenge is not going to define them and who overcome it have such strength and integrity. And I'm forever in awe.
0: I love this steel analogy. That's fabulous. I've never heard it like that before. I mean, it's stronger. And sometimes I joke with my husband that, you know, our battles make us stronger. So imagine how strong we must be now.
1: Yeah. My dad used to talk about these sort of events being character mm-hmm. building. And I can remember saying to him on one particularly dark day, my character is as high as Everest do I need any more challenges to climb? But I think the reality is that you are given the strengths to deal with whatever comes your way if you choose to see it.
0: That's so beautiful. I love that. Gina, I would love for you to share more about what you do today and how you are working with people.
1: I work with people in a number of ways, but I've just, in the last week, I've launched a membership group, which is called the Thrive Together Tribe. And it's based on the principles of my latest book, which is Thriving, Not Surviving, The Five Secret Pathways to Happiness, Success and Fulfillment. So the Thrive Together Tribe has got a number of elements to it. One is to have a, a group of people internationally, it's all over the Internet, where people can actually be seen and heard because so many people that I meet feel that nobody listens, that nobody sees them, that they're not validated, that they don't matter. And so I wanted a place where people can share their ideas, have support from myself and the team and from other members because everybody's got something to offer that they can be challenged when they need to be, but also have help in celebrating their successes. But also within that, there is a structured sequential personal development program, which looks at the underlying principles and the belief system that you have, the relationship you have with yourself and so on. And week by week, there are videos and activities, there's a themed journal and so on. And then there's twice monthly presentations and interactive group coaching. And that's just been launched last week. And I'd love to to offer your members the opportunity to to have a month's trial for that, just for a dollar. They can get a free download of the book by going to the website. I can give them an address for that. And so that's come about really, because although I've worked on a local basis with lots of people, you know, I said to you, there's this feeling that I needed to touch and to help more people. And this has been a two-year project. It's been really intense in terms of creating all of the content and the structure and so on. But it's all based on my the strategies and the approaches and principles that have worked for me, worked for my school and for the all of the people that I've worked with. They're simple, easy to incorporate into everyday living. They're there because my desire to make a difference to people, I needed to find a way, a vehicle to do that. So for me, that's the big thing at the moment. I do one-on-one coaching as well, and I still work with businesses, but actually this is my baby and I'm really keen to get it out there because I passionately believe that everybody can live an empowered life, a happy life, a successful life, an abundant life.
0: I'm over here smiling because I feel the same way about positive productivity and what I'm doing here.
1: It's the same stuff, isn't it? Yeah, it's just wrapped differently. Absolutely.
0: Oh, I love it. So yeah, I would love to know where listeners can can find th- your um, your book and your site. Would you mind sharing that? Oh, and listeners, before Gina does, I do want to let you know that you can find the links and everything that we've talked about at edthakimsutton.com forward slash PP330.
1: So if you'd like a free download of the book, you can get it in two places, thrivetogethertribe.com forward slash podcast, or just go to my website, which is genuinely hyphen com. And if you sign up for the book, then you'll be given the opportunity if you want to sign up for the dollar Thrive Tribe trial. But if you would like to get started straight away, and we've got our very first inaugural call tonight, that's thrivetogethertribe.com. Forward slash thirty day trial, and you know would love to have you join us. Just a dollar, you get to try everything for a whole month, and then if you decide it's for you, then you can sign up to the membership. And as I say, that will be ongoing. As we finish the personal development program, we're going to go much more into spiritual development, which is of course still personal development. But I hope to have visiting speakers. We've got several planned to enrich the whole program as well. So I do hope that some of your listeners will join me.
0: Oh, I love it. And I'm sure they will. So thank you so much for sharing. And you've actually, I just need to tell you that you've inspired me in more ways than 20. I can't say even one, more ways oh, than 20. Yeah. yeah,
1: That's yeah. wonderful.
0: Well, Thanks. thank you. And thank you so much for joining us today. Do you
1: have a parting piece of advice or a golden nugget that you can offer to listeners? I think what I'd like to say to you is everything that you do is a choice. Everything, everything you say, everything you do, everything you don't say or do, the way you say it and when you say it is a choice. And every choice has consequences. And people think that not choosing is not a choice. But actually, that's often the choice that has the greatest consequence. So I would say to you, you know, every day is a gift. Choose to live it fully. Choose to recognize the people you care about and tell them how much you care about them. Choose to see the best in people rather than look for the worst because ultimately your choices determine the quality of your life. And if you're struggling a bit, there's plenty of help and there's loads of free stuff on my website, genuinely you know, Reach out because there are people uh, like the two of us who are there wanting to help you choose to ask for help. And for me, that was one of the, the biggest lessons was learning to ask for help. I wasn't very good at it. I am getting better.
0: Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Positive Productivity Podcast. When I'm not podcasting, I'm supporting six to seven figure business coaches with their marketing automation and entrepreneurs like you through my coaching and mastermind programs. I want to invite you to visit com to learn how I can help you take your business to the next level.